0: Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and LEAD. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton.
1: I'm Louise Johnson, and we decided for this episode that we wanted to take a look back over this season of Pivot and think together a little bit with you about the kinds of pivots that we have heard and thought about. And so I think we came up with four different themes around Pivot that we want to just highlight and talk a little bit about today. But I think before we do that, Terry, I think one of the things that I'm realizing much to my chagrin I'm one vaccine shot in and about to get the second one and of course I've been able to see a few more people that have been vaccinated and you know it feels like things are are coming back to at least something that looks more like normal than where we were 6 months ago and yet at the same time I recognize that The grind of this is still working on me. You know, like logically, I think to myself, I have a roof over my head. I have people who love me. I have a job. There's nothing particularly wrong. And yet I realize that on a daily basis, I think I just am dealing with this sort of like underlying grief and tension and all of the things that come with living in, I think, double pandemics of Uh, racial and political tension, as well as uh, the COVID virus. And so for my part, I realized that I'm pivoting even while at such limited capacity, even still.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I, on Thursday, got my second COVID shot and new Friday, I needed to lay low and I was in a COVID fog. And came out of that a little bit on Saturday, and you and I are recording this on the morning of the closing of the Derek Chauvin trial in our own city. And over the weekend, was once again amazed. It was also a week from Dante Wright shooting and protest and some rioting that had happened or that in this last week with the National Guard taking over our city. Again, was driving down the freeway on Saturday with my daughter, and away from Minneapolis. And in Minneapolis was just escorted all of these National Guard coming in. We've been under curfew in the last few days because of that. And there's a variety of pieces where I came out of my COVID shot, and I'm like, we're still here. There are elements that I'm excited to get back. I said to my daughter when the curfew was there, and we were going to run some errands and our time had been changed for that day or that evening. And I said, I don't know what to feel right now because I'm grateful our state has learned to react in a way to keep people safe. And it just puts me into a spiral to think that this is now a normal part of my life from a year ago, last May of how to deal with that. So I come also with you with some fatigue with what has been and how much kind of chronic anxiety still hangs in the air and how much pivoting that we're doing in all fronts of my life of planning for the future that's still unknown and planning again. But I also come with hope in a way that I certainly didn't at the beginning of our podcast season. When I got my first one, I had tears in my eyes And there's hope into gatherings again. There's hope going into a summer season to be together with people that I have not seen for 15 months face-to-face. And there's hope for ministry that can happen in a new way. I get to actually have a potential to be with students again this summer and in a face-to-face. So I think for me, this pivoting has been slower than I had anticipated. But there is a, an emerging hope that brings a smile to my face and not just a kind of a little ray of sunshine in a cloudy day, you know, that I, I feel it in my being a little bit. And honestly, the hope has also come from our storytellers, from the ministries around our church and around the country that are finding amazing ways to be present with God's people and the world that are in pain in gospel proclaiming ways, in word and deed, inside and outside of church programs or church sponsored things, but just being the body of Christ, that I just feel privileged to have got to hear their stories this year.
1: Yeah, I think you're pointing us maybe to our first pivot, right, which is from Lent to Easter. That Lent last year seemed to just carry on through, right? I mean, we we marked Easter last year, but it was clear to all of us that we were going to live Lent for a lot longer. And so We've been living Lent for well over a year. And I think just now, right, beginning to turn and to see some of that hope with a, a COVID shot or, you know, to your point, I, with all the unrest in our city, I'm glad there's unrest. I'm glad we know more about what our sisters and brothers have been facing for so long in silence and in darkness. And I'm so glad that we're called on to be disrupted and unrested by the kind of violence that's been happening. And so that to me is a sign of Easter hope, even though the kind of resolution that so many of us long to see isn't happening yet either. Still, we're on our way. We're on a journey. And in that, there's hope for me. And so, yeah, I mean, we had just this great opportunity to hear from so many of our presenters about the kinds of hope that they were experiencing and seeing. And boy, one of the ones that really comes to mind for me was Caprice Jones, which of course is just the last episode, but talk about somebody who has had to find hope, right? Like where hope wasn't something that was for him grounded in reality. It it was so much a gift of the Holy Spirit. So I remember I'm talking about that moment of being an early young adult and holding a gun to his head and something. Something stopped him. And he talked about the hope that emerged out of that moment, which wasn't circumstantial. It wasn't an experience of the world around him. It wasn't as if anything had changed, but it came from outside of him. Hope came from the Holy Spirit. And it was something that I think has continued to affect his life from here on out. And I think when I really stop to think about it, I've had moments like that in this pandemic too. And, and there are others, of course, it could point to. But I'm wondering. For you, what were some of the themes around hope that you heard coming out of our podcasts?
0: Well, I really was taken by the extended Lent. I actually am one that have liked Lent as a calendar year season. And I think I've liked the practices and the ability to, in the church, name the pain and brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we as the church locally globally, quote, Christian church in general, had to figure out some lamenting Clinton-type practices Mm -hmm. that extended beyond the season on a liturgical year. So the story that came to me, for example, was Mike Carlson talking about learning about the homeless issue in his area. And the church just said, we're going to create a practice. We're going to bring people together. We can do that. That's something we can do. And we're going to name the brokenness and we're going to just be in it together and see what happens. And the hope came from getting people around the table to address it and to begin to, and it emerged slowly. It didn't just, it wasn't a light switch. But also thinking about St. Matthews in Renton and how different moments of just we're going to lean into the brokenness. We have women that don't have a place. Let's give them our building because we're not using it. Or we have a parking lot and they want to give away food. Can we lean into that? People need food. Can we be part of that? Mm -hmm. The slow and patient mantra that came from St. Andrews in San Diego about we're just going to keep showing up and giving water to people that are in the desert, but across the border, or whatever, working on those issues. And for me, the Lent slash hope has been, for me, in those Lenten practices, like a little ray of sunshine on a cloudy day. Mostly it's cloudy, but a little bit of sunshine every now and then. And I feel like now hope is a little more of the smile on my face. It's penetrated me, in a way. And doesn't mean I've given up those lament practices or those Lenten practices or those leaning into brokenness practices, but as I do, God shows up, and I'm once again reminded we're not alone, mm-hmm. and that we're better together. So I feel like the the thought of Lent and Easter and loss and hope have now gotten in me in a in a particular way, and I've pivoted. Leaning into that and letting God flow through that. I'm not in any way believing that my lamenting and my loss and my Lent is over, but I okay. am believing that leaning into it is the right thing. The naming it, the grieving it, and the listening for that in other people is the way towards that hope. And that's for me the pivot in this is I don't have to fear brokenness or my own sadness, or like what you were (laughs) saying earlier about I'm not fully there every day. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, letting that day be what it is and believing that there's another side to that. The second theme is, and you brought this up. We are asking new questions, or we're responding maybe to a same question is, How are you pivoting in new ways? Say a little bit more about that, Louise.
1: Yeah, I think one of the questions that I hear, you know, when I ask people what they're doing or how they're moving out of one season of church leadership into another, and, you know, lots of that has to do with technology and whether and how we come together and person and so on and so forth. There are a lot of people saying, you know, I don't know what we're going to do because I don't know what's going to happen yet. What struck me, I mean, I had to hear that statement about 10 times before I was like, what is it about that that's just getting under my skin? And I think it revealed for me a truth that I knew, but it was such a, a, a sort of marker of that. What it revealed is that our church in lots of ways has responded to the culture around us this notion of safety, right? And so that being a part of the Christian faith should make us safe when in fact, if you do your reading and studying, particularly in the New Testament about what Jesus says and about how Paul and and the other apostles experienced the early church, it was anything but safe. And that baptism, in fact, invites us into a life of risk, not just plain anti risk but risk on behalf of the other. And so what are some of those things like safety that we've just responded to the culture around us and adopted those kinds of principles instead of thinking again about and here's I think the question we need to be asking ourselves and what I heard so many of our podcast guests doing and that is how do we shape the future? How do we not just wait for the future to come and then respond to it, but how do we as the church shape the future? How do we give voice to what could be instead of just what was. You alluded to this already, but I I think about St. Andrews and their work in homelessness. They didn't wait to find out what the problems were. They they got ahead of this kind of stuff. So they said, what can we do about this? Maybe the church, you know, their church wasn't necessarily set up to address homelessness, but they said, this is the problem that's in front of us and we can do something about it, even if that hasn't typically been our lane. We know that this is a problem in the world around us. So how do we go about it? I think about, you know, how is it that we together, begin to ask that question, right? How do we move from responding to the culture around us to shaping the culture around us? And I think if we could do that, boy, what a world this could be.
0: Yeah, I agree. In my teaching around leadership in the course I teach at Luther Seminary, we talk about this being an apostolic age. And I think the pivot that happened in that first century was there wasn't an assumption that culture was going to receive them well. In fact, it was kind of the opposite of that. And so I wonder about for us to pivot towards that first century kind of mindset, what would it be to have Christianity be a way of life in a real ordinary way? And I don't mean this as a cut, I mean this as a a positive. I think of Pastor Marianne and Living Faith and how They were trying to integrate faith into everyday life and not put it in a program or in a box, right? That's shaping a future saying, if I actually believe that if we plant these seeds in you and you are present in the world, we're shaping the world around us in many ways. I think of pastor Krista and in New Jersey and the collaboration that they were doing of shaping the future by thinking, how can we collaboratively respond to what we anticipate the pain to be of our people and of that kind of move to saying, we're not waiting for people to ask us. We're just going to do it. We're going to ask for permission later. And I, I heard that in pastor Casey of St. Matthew's in Renton, we're going to boldly go after dismantling racism out of our congregation. And we don't all have to agree, but we're going to talk about it. And we're going to get in the room together. And we're going to begin to say, what does God call us to be about? And so I hear echoes of that in a lot of our podcasts this season. And that gets me very excited. And it's not an arrogant shaping the future. It's a very humble, where's the spirit leading? Where's the energy? Where are the collaborative partners that I can find like the two camps. Why are these two camps working together? No, they didn't wait for someone to say, you guys should do this and take leadership. They just said, there's an issue. We've got resources. Let's boldly bring this people that we've already brought into leadership, all these counselors, all these college students, and then these ministries that are struggling. Let's put them together and just see what happens. And out of that, all kinds of things rippled. That's really exciting for me. So I love that question of, or a different question from, I don't know how to respond. How can we shape the future in a particular
1: way? So I think that, that leads us to our third pivot, which, you know, we, we talked about this in terms of, if you think physically, literally about a pivot, right? So you, you have one, I remember learning this, I think when I was, learning a little bit about how to play basketball. I think you you have to have one foot planted and then you can kind of pivot around, you know, on that foot, keeping one planted and the other moving. That's a theme that I heard a lot from our podcast guests this season as well. So this kind of deep rootedness and mission, which of course, both of the camp leaders talked about And yet the ability to move being deeply rooted, right? So they understood what their mission was, but they just knew, you know, as communities that have typically gathered physically, right? I mean, talk about a place that's so oriented around physical presence and connection. How do we then live out our mission to nurture faith in young people and in others as well, but in young people, right? Beginning there, how do we do that without being able to be physically present? And so, you know, they looked at their mission and they said, we're not going to wait on this. We're going to wait for the circumstances to be right. We're going to ask the question, how do we live our mission right now? And who are the people that are open to hearing it? And how do we, how do we begin to lean into that? And so that was a theme I heard again and again and again, this kind of rooted and moving and rooted and open. And if we could learn that well, right? If we could let go of old structures and frameworks and mental maps for how our mission gets lived out and really like hold fast to the mission, but look at different ways that that gets incarnated, what what an incredible gift to the church this would be, right? And uh, this is for me where Isaiah 43 just becomes such a, a critical text Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Behold, I'm about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And so that sense of how do we let go of the framework of liberation that happened in the Exodus and see that same work of God, that same work of liberation that now happens in Jesus on the cross? What a radical shift from slavery out of Egypt to crucifixion of God's Son on the cross. Those are pretty mind-bending ways to bring about liberation, but both of them do. And so what are the ways that we're holding on to the past and holding on to old mental maps and frameworks that don't allow us to live out God's mission and calling to us in this new age? I think of last week's
0: podcast with Caprice, faith that can move mountains, and that clear sense of mission, and that openness to the spirit leading where the spirit will, for the sake of real people and the transformation of their lives. And I think the piece for me around this particular pivot is I want to... Not only know my mission, you know, plant my foot one foot firm, but be so driven by that mission and believe that it matters in the world, that I'm open to that creativity and that movement of the spirit, and I can let my ego down. I, can, I mean die to myself, right? What Caprice said to us last time. And your're new partners. The story of of him sitting around the table with those Wartburg students and brainstorming a curriculum that's now a movement rippling through a community is so exciting to me. And so when I hear those nuggets and I put that image together, it's kind of fun, but I know that it comes at a price and the price is my own ego the price is letting go of my old ways, my expertise, my whatever gets as obstacle that's gotten in the way. Our fourth theme was really about, for me, reimagining what thriving would be. Is thriving about my church or my organization? or is thriving about the ecology, and I'm going to use church in air quotes, the larger body of Christ. And each of these leaders that were representing communities, they had pivoted from just saying, this isn't about my church, my organization thriving. This is about a larger ecosystem of which I'm contributing. So for example, I think of Pastor Marianne and the interviews that she did with their mission partners and how crucial those relationships were that this is the difference we make in the world. See people? And it's it's mutual. It goes back and forth. And like St. Matthew, one of the things that makes me think about is the way that that their eyes turned was when it wasn't about... Is St. Matthew going to be known as a church 100 years from now? It's are people of Renton going to have food next month, next week, tomorrow? Or are women going to have a place to put their head tonight? And that larger calling not only took their eyes off of themselves, an internal face to the world, also new collaboration.
1: Yeah, I think about Krista Compton, who in her community, they were looking at the kind of corporate loss and grief that were happening and pulled together their colleagues of other faith traditions and did a community service around grief and loss. And I think what a powerful witness that was, maybe not such strange new colleagues, but But the intentional work to say, what is it that our community needs far apart from any one organization? And I think about St. Andrews, who, again, around this subject of homelessness, I mean, St. Andrews has a capacity to draw some pretty powerful people together, and they did. I got to sit in on some of those meetings around homelessness. And there were really high-powered, high-level people in government and nonprofit leadership we came together to talk about how we address these issues of homelessness and particularly when it looked like rent subsidies weren't going to continue. And so in January in Minnesota, you know, we were looking at what would have been another pandemic of homelessness at that point in time. So I just think about those kinds of partnerships and I, you know, it it makes me wonder about the kinds of ecosystems we could build and how do we get good, right? I think I'm a structural thinker. And so I think about organizations and their lanes, right? That's a question I'm asking all the time. What's our lane? What's our lane? What's our lane? And and yet... Right when I hear these stories, what I'm pushed to think about is that, you know, the lane we've traditionally run in may not be the one we're called to now. And so instead of thinking about what is our our protocol in a particular situation, how do we, number one, look at the needs around us and wonder how we can respond? And number two to see where there's fruit and movement and where the ecosystem is thriving in new ways and in new environments. And so that makes me think about the camp systems, right? And so. At least in our in our ELCA tradition, we've thought about congregations as the kind of frontline evangelism organization. And camps were a place that congregations sent people to. And more and more, what I'm beginning to wonder, and what we heard a little bit about was maybe camps are the the ones now who do that kind of frontline evangelism work with people and then send them to congregations. And so what are the ways in which these ecosystems are beginning to develop and to push our sense of you know, what is our lane to my question, and how do we behave differently? Looking at data and evidence instead of thinking about those traditional roles.
0: Yeah, I think we also got some of that unique front line with Pastor Aaron Fuller, who, as a chaplain, was building relationships, listening to primarily young adults at key moments and asking questions. And asking questions. Kind of, how are you doing? Not for the sake of building a church, not for the sake of a thriving of an institution, but in a sense of what does abundant living look like, and how can I come alongside you and help you ask a set of questions that helps you thrive in your relationships, in the communities that you're a part of. So, I think Pastor Aaron really. Plant a really basic seed, but it wasn't for the sake of just nice pastoral care of the of the pastor showing up. It was actually to empower that person to really ask a different set of questions. I think the other person that got me thinking about asking a different set of questions was Pastor Manuel in San Diego, who was talking about both as a a Native American and as a Mexican with Mexican heritage, about helping us tell stories and listen to each other's stories, not to fix each other, not to understand so our heads are different, but so that would be curious. So that we live and navigate the world with a sense of curiosity. And so this listening and relationship and storytelling for the sake of curiosity is really interesting for me in this ecosystem. In an ecosystem, different parts thrive at different times and that's okay. We just have to stay connected. The other piece is what are the ongoing things, you know, water and sun and need to happen for it to grow. And I think some of these things like listening and telling stories are part of the water and sun that need to continue. And if we continue to do that with an eye towards the whole ecosystem, thriving, That's pretty exciting to me. And if I come with everybody's got a story to tell and I can be a listener that's curious, that I can take with me no matter where I go and let the spirit kind of move with regard to whatever's happening next. Well, it's been amazing to hear 10 stories of the church alive and well Leaders being imaginative and pivoting again and again and again. And as I leave, I'm also aware that I've had to do my own pivoting this season, and I always end at a different place than we started. We thought we would end our second season of Pivot with just sharing a little bit about where we're at. Two things come to me in this. I have some new responsibilities in my work and I am leaning into that with these practices that we have done, listening, collaboration, being curious. And so it's fun for me to have a place in my work to actually get to do the practices from the start, right? I'm not having to deconstruct. I'm getting to to just lean into that. And I had one a conversation earlier today with a person about this new initiative and just the energy that came from that and the possibility. And for me saying, I don't know, I'm not the expert here. I'm just setting a table. I'm inviting the collaboration. So that's one thing. The second thing for me is I continue to have to lament the loss. In this season, I personally, when we hit the one-year mark, I just went into grief. And grief on the ministry side, grief personally, uh, we had the one-year marker of our daughter's cancer diagnosis. And just letting myself be sad and grateful. We talked about that in season one, those who can live alongside each other, of continuing to spend time in the Psalms that allow me to do that in the same, these prayer practices and these scripture reading practices, that those grounding kind of the pivoting, the grounded foot and the openness, both of those, I think are examples for me. What about you, Louise?
1: I think, you know, one of the things that for me, coincided with COVID was moving. And so I moved in mid-January of 2020. And it was a very intentional decision on my part. I was doing consulting work at the time with Lead, And so I could have chosen to live anywhere. And I chose to live in St. Paul because I had a number of good friends here. I knew that that as a, you know, as a single person, that that would really help me feel connected in a way that was more challenging in a place like Dubuque, Iowa. And so I was really excited and looking forward to that. And then, of course, about four weeks later, COVID started to seep into our Our country and our reality. And then six weeks later we were shut down. And so then I was in an apartment in a in a place that I didn't know very well. And then out of COVID again, it's pushed me again into a new job and and now into another move. And so, like that sense of just unrest that's come with that, right? Loss of communities and, and connections and those kinds of things has really pushed me to think again about what those things look like and how I experience them and so on and so forth. And so on the one hand, you know, it's been a kind of disruptive time in my life and there's a longing in my bones to just be kind of settled. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to move to Chicago and I'm going to a house. I've never bought a house before. I've always been a renter. I'm going to buy a house and come to find out that the Chicago housing market is super aggressive. So the I, I gave up about two weeks ago, I gave up on the notion of buying a house. And now I'm just trying to rent something. And even that poses its own set of challenges. So what it raises for me again and again is, how do we think about this notion of home and about being settled and what that means? For a person in the Christian life. And so I think early on when we were pushed out of our church buildings, right? I mean, no, no, none of us would have said that God lives in our church buildings, and yet we behave as if that were true, right? The only place we can do this or have that or whatever, I mean, the, the loss turned into a, a way in which it revealed, I think, our underlying assumption that God lives in our church buildings. And so wh- where does God have a home with us, and what does that look like, and how does God gather us together? And so I think I've been really pushed to think hard about those questions and to understand that even though our our physical homes shift and change and our church homes shift and change, what does it look like to be at home with God? And so I think that's been such a a journey of my own spiritual life in this past year. And I, I think about so many of the conversations that we've had both with our colleague Scott and then with our guests in this last season, right, who've helped us think about all of the places where God is showing up. It's pushed us to take notice of that and to bring that presence of God into places and spaces in the digital atmosphere and in all kinds of other ways, right, that we we didn't necessarily think so much about before.
0: Thanks, Louise. Listeners, we hope this has been a good walk back through this season, a reminder of the stories we've touched on this time and where you are in your own journey through COVID and through social unrest and through the transitions that are taking place in your ministries. And we continue to pray blessing on the ministries that you're leading and pray that the Spirit is finding ways to give you life give you time to be who God has created you to be in creative ways, but also grounded ways as we move ahead into the future that God is creating. Blessings. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org or from FaithLead, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.